So, welcome to Defen, episode 21. Ray in Belgium, VJ in Holland. You are in Holland this week, aren't you, VJ? Yes, I'm in Holland. And And Mr. James Reeves, over somewhere orbiting around London. Hello. (laughs) We'll add better applause in the the later (laughs) post-processing. We won't. You don't don't give away how we produce the show. I mean, you're just giving it away that okay, we don't do any post processing. <laughs> no, well, maybe we're going to tease Wouter, the the sound engineer, uh, yeah. to uh, to put all kinds of cheers in now. Yeah, because you know you, you do that kind of thing. So, James, hello. Yes, hello. It's good to be here. Cheers, mate. Thank cheers. you for joining us. So let's um, dive right into it, or uh, I think we we did we, try... We don't want to um, dive right it. into it, VJ. We've got to calm down a bit here. <laughs> yes. That's why I was I was rethinking my strategy. I think we should start with the most boring shit again. <laughs> now, okay. You were telling me earlier on that you like to do Habitica. Yes. I'm, <laughs> and I'm, you're trying to stop saying fuck all the time. Cause, uh, yes, I'm I'm trying to uh, I mean, not to sorry, say... Sorry, the F word. Yeah. Yes, the F word all the time. So I'm trying to do that. So I use Habitica, which is like a uh, online gamification to-do list thingy. Uh, so I have a character there. Every time it, it loses 1.5 or whatever health, whenever I say F word. And um, yeah, I think I've been, I'm, I'm known to say this thing a lot. Uh, so uh, my character is dying a lot or at least, you know, losing a lot of health. So I'm trying to work around yeah. it now. But, but I <laughs> think James had a good point, though, which was you should hook it up to the Amazon Echo or to yeah. Siri or something. Or Siri. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> to keep you properly honest. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll, I need to buy one of those things. But I'm not sure then, you know, like... The entire um, that, that, that's a nice way to corrupt their big data. You, know, but just, <laughs> you just connect this to some people, and then all 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 they hear is that this kind of crap. <laughs> That'd be nice. We've got to find somewhere to undermine this uh, internet spying. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. I think if if they th- there was some sort of a movement like that, right? I mean, you you log into Facebook and then you just keep posting completely irrelevant stuff all the yeah. time just to confuse their uh... well the funny thing is i mean you know i was telling you earlier on that i did a bit of uh, comedy stuff uh yesterday uh one of the things i was talking about was like uh the bible as well actually and how you know to me as i was growing up i, I lost my belief in god because i just couldn't believe that that uh there would be such a such a possibility of knowing what everybody is thinking uh or where everybody is at any one time or what they're going to do next. And it turns out that it's completely possible. Yeah, it and is. we've got it today. And Google yeah. Google are now God, basically. <laughs> like the Christian version of God now exists in Mountain View. <laughs> and that is pretty scary, so, you know? Because I always thought it was a bit scary that God knew what we were thinking. You know, that that's a horrible concept to me. What a, what a horrible God that must be. It must be bored shitless as well. Um, but uh, yeah, what what do you think then, James? Are you a uh, you a fan of the of the internet spying thing? Uh, not really. I, I don't even <laughs> find many people who will say, "Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it." Um, I was so I am tempted by the um, Amazon have the Echo and Google have um, is it Google Home Google or something now. like that? Google Now, yeah, the Google Now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So those like little things you can put in your home are kind of tempting from a technological point of view. Sure. Um, mm. I have a um, Raspberry Pi on my desk right now, which oh. uh, I was planning on making my own one of these things. There's yeah. an open source project called Jasper where you can kind of set up your own uh, Amazon yep. Echo or Google Now um, and yep. then kind of code it so that it um, works on the commands you want. But I haven't gotten around to it. Um, so that's been sitting on my desk yeah. for a few months <laughs> waiting. Well, I, I see your one Raspberry Pi and I raise it with a cluster. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Well, now you know your next this, project. You just have the this. cluster of Raspberry Pi trying to figure out whether exactly. you swear. So this is a Raspberry Pi cluster of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six uh, Raspberry Pis. Uh, all I've done so far is um, running Cassandra on it. <laughs> for for no reason. <laughs> just the, 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 by the way, just back to the echo thing as well. Did you really, did yeah. you hear that Amazon put out this thing where they would take photographs of people and they could like they would do give fashion advice. Oh, okay. So so now you can be, you know, in your bedroom and you mm -hmm. can get photographs of what you're wearing and it will tell you basically that you're an idiot. You should be wearing something better. You know? <laughs> and, are you, I, I are can't you, imagine are you? having this damn thing in the bedroom, you know? I mean, it's bad enough having it in the kitchen to time your eggs, but, but having it to literally time your women's eggs. I mean, this is just you know, an absolute disgrace, you know? Yeah, why not? Why not? Because why not? it's goddamn horrible. Anyway, James, yeah. let, let's... Let's get on to some more interesting shit. We've, we've <laughs> yes, the, the concept of maybe it's the internet spying on us is probably you know really boring too because everyone's talking about it all the time. Mm. So let's move on to something more interesting. Closure. Closure. Yeah. So I think I think we we need to of course I mean uh, James I mean you most of the people who are listening to this this podcast they don't need any, any introduction about you, but it would be nice to. Tell us, uh, how did you get into closure, or what is your previous experience in can, the, in the can past Can I just interject life? one little possibility there? When we yes. talked to Karen recently, and to also to, yeah. to Eric, they both ended up, they both had a history of really dealing with terrible, horrible languages in the past. You know, I think it was, uh, was it Pascal or something like that? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, PHP? Yes. Um, so I don't know. What, what? What? Do you have like a shameful background in in some horrible language, James, that you want to admit on air? Uh, well, I did dabble in Java at one time. Ooh, Terrible language. Ah, who'd, who'd, oh who'd, host, who'd, who'd host a language on on that virtual machine? Um, oh my god! Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm proud I of have, you, James. I, I I have a long list of languages um because i kind of hopped before i came to closure i tried to pick up a new one like every six months or so okay. um so uh yeah be before i um before i came to closure i was learning haskell which i stuck with for about a year mm. and if uh, uh you haven't learned haskell i'd recommend it because there's nothing that makes you feel stupider than <laughs> having like five ten years of programming under your belt and yeah. coming to haskell and realizing that you're a moron <laughs> <laughs> so 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 i did haskell for about a year um for the first two months i and it was undermining your ego so much that you just gave up in the end <laughs> um it, it undermined my ego for um 
for about two months. I, I think that was quite good. It kind of uh, cut down the hubris I was feeling before. Um, right, right. I like sticking with things I don't understand. So, um, which maybe means I don't understand closure. So I don't know why you have <laughs> yeah. me on. But uh, yeah, so I um, I stuck with closure for with with Haskell for about a year. Um, for the first couple of months, I remember being completely flummoxed by everything, and then things slowly started to click into place. Hmm. And after I had learned um, uh, Haskell, uh, or at least as far as you can learn Haskell in a year, I think it's kind of one of these things that takes a lifetime to really master. Um, yeah. So you got to a point where you could actually print Hello World. Yeah, yeah. I, by, 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 yeah. by the end of the year, I, I, I could print, um, <laughs> print Hello World. In fact, I was actually yeah. writing, because this was uh, years ago, um, hmm. back in 2006, 2007, um, before GitHub, um, because I don't actually oh. have any of my Haskell um, mm. code up on Lead GitHub. Words. But I was building, yeah. there was very little um, software in Haskell then for building web applications. So mm. I was trying to, my first kind of big project was to build a HTTP server in Haskell. And I wow. got to the point of it supporting HTTP 1.0. Um, mm-hmm. And I was working on 1.1 when I decided that I was a little bit bored of the language and I wanted to switch <laughs> to something else. Um, so after learning Haskell, which is you know, the big, pure, functional, lazy language, um, I like looked at my list of languages and went, well, what haven't I tried? And the thing mm. I hadn't really tried was a Lisp. So I went mm. around looking for Lisp-like languages. Um, Scheme was a candidate. Common Lisp was a candidate as well. Um, at the time, um, Paul Graham had just come out with Arc, which Arc, was his yep. uh, Lisp, which was built on top of, I think it was implemented in Scheme, which is now called Racket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was interesting. It had um, like a dot operator for um, composing functions, which I thought was quite nice from coming from um, um, Haskell. Haskell, yeah. So I was all ready to learn Arc when... At around about the same time, Rich Hickey came out with um, Clojure. And I worked with Ruby professionally. So I worked with Ruby on Rails, um, and I transitioned from that from .NET and previous to that, um, Java. I think previous to that, PHP. Um, so I've kind of been going up in the world. <laughs> so, so Ruby's quite a nice language. Um, the problem is it's mutable yeah. and it's object-orientated. Yeah. Um, but it has yeah. a lot of nice syntax. When I looked at Clojure, I went, oh, it's got these nice Ruby-type maps. It's got these nice um, Ruby-type uh, keywords. So mm. the syntax kind of attracted me to it because it sort of felt like um, they took the best parts of Lisp, um, removed all of the cruft, which has accumulated over the past um, 70 years now. It came out in like okay. the 56 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they removed all the cruft, um, mm-hmm. added some uh, Ruby-like data structures. And of course, it was immutable and functional. So this ticked all of my boxes, mm-hmm. right? It was uh, something I was familiar with in terms of professionally, because it was like Ruby. It had the yeah. immutability, which I was now used to from Haskell. Um, and it removed all of the cruft. It was kind of like a clean slate. Um, so yeah. it seemed like a natural language to use. And I started using it. And since then, I kind of stopped looking at other languages. It sort of became the became the language I stuck with. Your man squeeze. Mm. 
Yes. <laughs> but do, do, do you think, is there any reason? Because usually people go in the other direction, or at least that's what I thought, you know, the, the general uh, programmer's evolution is that you start with a language that, that starts with a P, you know, uh, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Uh, that. That's probably insulting most of the languages, but then you, you move into, you know, gradually more, uh, I don't know, like, towards the languages which make you feel stupider and stupider and then you 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 end up with Haskell or something like that yes but um because uh people I've seen enough people who are, who got into closure did something with it and wrote a lot of code and then decided oh wait a minute you know static typing can help me more as well than than this so I'm gonna switch to Haskell for example so how how did this this uh, transition happen for you from static to closure and then deciding that okay closure is my thing now um, it might have been that I did Haskell first and then Clojure second, <coughs> which is why I'm seeking Clojure. Um, but I yeah. think it's more to do with how Haskell and Clojure approach the problem of stopping things going wrong, right? So I think yeah. the evolution of programming languages or what makes a programming language good is um, how fast you can program complicated stuff in it, but mm. more how do you stop things going wrong? So if you're programming in something like assembly or C, you have a lot of things which can go wrong. And as you kind of yeah. get to languages at a higher and higher level, they have more and more tools to stop things going wrong. Um, yeah. Programming at a higher level itself, like writing less code, can stop things going wrong. There was, um, I think there's a, it was in the Mythical Man Month where they did yeah, some experimentation yeah. with... Um, what causes bugs and they found that there was mm. a um, more or less it, it was more or less independent of language but they found that there was a fixed number of bugs per line of code so the fewer mm. lines of code you had or the more expressive your language the fewer bugs you'd um, create and that's maybe because you're yeah. reusing things right you don't need to mm. um if you're in a sort of more primitive language, which says loops, if you're building a sum function, you've got to sort of create it manually. Whereas in mm. Clojure and other functional languages, you use something like reduce. And yeah. um, that eliminates error because you're using a tool which has already been created, which has been tested multiple times, which is part of the core library, rather than writing it yourself each time. So languages are about stopping human beings from doing the wrong thing, right? They're incidentally for computers to execute, but languages are mostly developed for human beings to express problems in ways that stop things from going wrong. Um, mm. And Haskell and Clojure have two different ideas about how to stop things from going wrong. Haskell's idea is we're just going to build this framework um, of types. And if you stick within this framework of types, then you're limiting what can go wrong, right? You can't return mm. um, the wrong result if the function says int. Um, you can't access uh, I.O. if it's a pure function. The um, type system is not just an aid for the compiler. It's also a way of structuring your thinking, right? In, a, in yeah. Haskell, when you're creating a program, you're typically starting off with the types. You map it yes. out with this sort of this exoskeleton, which you, which you yeah, construct yeah. first, and then you fill in all of the organs later on. Um, yeah. Maybe the problem with that is that you can't expand out of the skeleton you've um, created. Yeah. Closure yeah. has a different idea, and that's 
that things go wrong because they're too interconnected. The more things that are interconnected, the harder it is for our brains to figure out um, what all the consequences of actions are. And this struck me as a more accurate or perhaps based on my, I mean, this is all subjective, but based on my experience, it wasn't so much the types or the structure that caused me a problem. It was the interactions between things. So when Rich Mm -hmm. Hickey came out with his talk, Simple Made Easy, that struck a real note um, with me, right? The closure is structured around this idea of reducing interactions means reducing the amount of things that can go wrong. It's the only language I'm aware that really pursues this as a um, philosophy. And it's something I've really bought into. And maybe that's why I've stuck Mm. with closure so long, because it's not the language so much that um, I fall in love with, but the Mm. philosophy that language is developed around. Right, so it's a kind of culture, isn't it? Really, because that's what you're saying, isn't it? That uh, with with these strongly typed systems and higher type, higher kind of type systems, that it's the algebra is trying to you know trying to do good things like through mathematics, basically. Whereas with things like dynamically typed languages like Clojure, even Ruby as well, it's more social. You know, it's more kind of cultural, and you it kind of you kind of have to follow the 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 way that there's nothing inherently in the language which which makes it like that actually yes maybe um i think there might be a way <laughs> of creating a statically typed language that follows um closures conventions but closure yeah, is- actually there is a uh, there is a language called uh, lux uh, i think someone from probably argentina or somewhere in latin america someone is developing right now um uh, that is that is lisp but essentially statical, statically typed Haskell based sort of thingy. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a link on, on Slack later. So that is, um, but that's the opposite of what he's saying now. <laughs> using, using closure, but ML like closure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's more like, it's, it's more like closure is about reducing the interactions between components. Yeah. Um, and this philosophy results in pure functions because pure functions only rely on their arguments and their outputs. Yeah. But it also encourages data, which only relies on itself. Um, whereas Haskell um, is more about restricting what you can do with types, right? It's, it's not about restricting the interactions per se. It's about restricting what you can do in the moment. So I guess it's more like whether you restrict the individual or whether you um, uh, stop the, like, uh, I, I mean, you're going for a kind of police state um, analogy. Go for it, go for it. If you're a dictator and you're, you're running a police state um, and you want to crack down on the dissidents, then you've got two options, right? You can, you can, like imprison the individuals. You can you can take your troublemakers and stuff them in a hole somewhere, um, or so, you can what, what? And, and 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 that's that's my analogy for Haskell. Nice. Um, yes. Whereas whereas closure takes a sort of more perhaps a more subtle approach and says, well, we can stop dissidence by cutting the social ties between troublesome groups. So maybe that's yeah. like the. Um, 
uh, a dictatorship which like uses like Facebook or or sort of algorithms to like like <laughs> manipulate people's like through the mainstream media and make them cut their ties to their um, uh, troublesome neighbours. So this so is it's kind like, of a, it's like of, America. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, 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 well may, maybe where America will go um, uh, if uh, Trump remains president. So, so, I would have stopped so, using closure now. <laughs> Forget so it. So <laughs> what you're basically saying is that Haskell is North Korea of programming languages and closure is the US of the programming languages or something like that. Yes, may, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know. It's, it's, it's more about restricting um, the individual components. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Haskell likes to sort of have everything kind of in its particular box. Whereas yeah. Clojure says, okay, well, the individual things can do what they want, but what we want is to restrict how the group interacts with each other, yeah. right? So it's about cutting yeah. ties, about it's like isolating um, people or isolating functions individually in yeah. isolating components rather than restricting them, right? Yeah. See, I, I see it as a bit like things like Git as well, because Git is about... You know there are tools there to to yeah to version your code etc. But most of most of most problems with code are social problems, you know, rather than necessarily even tool based. Tools help to organize things and make make the visibility of these changes more obvious. But but really, most coding is a social thing. That's why GitHub is so popular, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe it's the case that Haskell actually has an edge on Clojure in that respect. Um, because if you create something in a statically typed language, you're saying to the people who come in and maintain you, okay, well, this is this is the structure which um, I've created the program around. And you can take a look at the structure, but it's all typed. Um, and you, if you want to add stuff to my software, you need to adhere to the structure. And if you yeah. don't, the compiler will complain. Whereas I think with closure it's maybe easier to run away with um to add things in which the original creator wasn't kind of thinking of so and this can be a good thing or a bad thing but mm -hmm. um i've heard people say that when they create closure projects that they don't turn out like you have two separate teams developing something which is very similar and the end result turns out to be very very different yeah. And maybe that's where why we need um, something like a framework, like either um, Arachne or um, Integrant slash Duct, which I've been developing. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, will, we will get into them, I think. <laughs> on, nice, okay. nice plug there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to definitely get onto that, yeah. That's a good background then, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think to to sum up that um, closure sort of stops you from doing wrong things through isolation, whereas mm. closure, whereas Haskell stops you from doing wrong things by being restrictive. So I, I think that's the kind of you've got restriction versus isolation as your two main um, schools of thought in how to stop things from going wrong. Um, yeah. And having tried the restriction school of things, I'm preferring the isolation school of things, which. Uh, uh, closure promotes. What, what do you think about this other argument as well, that it's about kind of, like you said at the beginning about the kind of organs and the exoskeleton, 
What, what do you think about the experimental nature of, uh, of, of closure and lisps in general, where you can do this kind of, um, yeah, this, this exploration through the REPL of your data structures and the kind of functions that you want to stitch together, which is which is more tricky to do when you're kind of having to stitch all the types together first. That that's to me that's a really appealing thing about closure. Yeah, and I think I I agree with you there. Um, I'm much more into. I mean that that's why I've never really gone on with um, test driven development. Um, I kind mm. of prefer to take an exploratory uh, approach and then yeah. develop the tests afterwards. And Ruby had, or at least when I was developing, it had this culture of test driven development, which I never really got on with because it felt like putting the cart before the horse that you've got to have your design fixed before you um um, before you actually start developing and it seemed like that was maybe the wrong way to go about it yeah so see right now um i'm curious about your your process of of developing software because of course you used haskell and in, in haskell it's a completely different way as you said first you start with the types and then you fill in the types and then define everything to be undefined, and then figure out the whole interaction between the types. Then start putting in the code. So, how, how what, what is your if you, if you start with a problem or a, or a thing that you need to build with closure? How does your development cycle look like? Um, probably the opposite of what you described. So, <laughs> yeah. absolutely nothing like has, like I do it in Haskell, yeah. which may be why I yeah. switched to closure because I didn't like yeah. um, that approach. Um, so, I, I like to sort of take a exploratory approach, taking a like a small function first of all um mm-hmm. writing it out having a REPL open so i can test it and figuring out mm-hmm. um getting something minimal working and if it's in the yeah. wrong direction just delete some code add in some new things there's more um, exploring what i can do and then gradually mm-hmm. something will take shape and i'll have some idea of where to go but a lot of the initial um, part of writing a li- library is as much deleting code as adding code. Yeah. So, on that note, uh, we're talking about the development cycle. So, Emacs or something else? Oh, God. Uh, e- Emacs, I'm afraid. Um, I did use yeah. Vim when um, I was yeah. developing Ruby. Um, yeah. I tried to use Vim. This, this basically. Yeah, I tried yeah. to use Vim a little bit with. Um, with closure, and by a light learning yeah. thing. So I went, okay, well, this is my opportunity to learn not just closure, <laughs> but Emacs as well. So yeah. um, I found out that there was um, there, there was another like Vim project, which was um, which I can't remember the name of. Um, but I quickly switched to Evil Mode on yeah. Emacs, which on is Emacs, a yeah. Yeah. which is almost like a better um, Vim. The only thing I yeah. the only thing I can <laughs> complain about with Emacs is that it has a yeah. really Byzantine way of um, updating its screen, so it kind of pretends yeah. that its screen is a terminal, and yeah, yeah, it's it's and then it keeps redrawing. Yeah, and, yeah, it's it's it's, just, it's a complete yeah. mess basically. Um, but that's the yeah. only um, <laughs> thing I'd complain about. It means that that's smooth true. scrolling doesn't really work on on Emacs, yeah. even with the um, Mac OS kind of built version of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you use the Railway Cat version? There is yes, a, yes, uh, I do. So, no, so I use the Railway Cat version um, of yeah. uh, Emacs for Mac, which has like um, smooth scrolling, um, but the CPU just spikes whenever you try yeah, it because it's true. just um, it's redrawing <laughs> the same thing over and over again um, rather than yeah. caching any of it. Uh, and I sent an email yeah. to the creator as well saying, uh, 
is there anything we can do about this? And his answer was, yeah. well, no, because Emacs draw code <laughs> sucks. <laughs> yeah. So but, Emacs but sucks. That's, they... just, that's, the, that's the point, yeah? <laughs> I have Suck been... CPU. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, eight megs and constantly swapping was the uh, old acronym <laughs> for it, wasn't it? Uh, I think I think nowadays eight gigabytes and constantly yeah. swapping. We we moved to the next level now, yeah. and eight terabytes, and it's a big data editor now. Emacs. Your your, your, Mac, your Mac boots directly into Emacs, doesn't it, VJ? <laughs> Pretty much. That is a full screen. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I have been interested yeah. in Atom recently because that has like Vim plugins and it has a yeah. very nice. Um, like Proto Repl is uh, is is looking nicer yeah. each day, and the mm. Vim stuff is looking quite nice as well. But it's not mm. on the same level as Evil Mode or Cider. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, I, I used Atom as well, and I, I I like the concept of it, but it's so slow. You know, just typing stuff is slow, and that is you know you can't have that. You cannot have that. You cannot have it where you're typing stuff and it's not coming on the screen from an editor. You know, that, that's not allowed. That's, that's, that is a fundamental thing an editor should do. I'm yeah. just typing something, just put it in there. And, yeah, yeah, it has to be on the screen. Come on. Mm. Anyway, yeah, anyway, right, fine. Yeah. So uh, you're using Emacs, and, and obviously, you know, that is the main reason for your extreme productivity of almost 90 <laughs> closure libraries. I don't know how how you write this stuff. So there, there, is, there is almost, that's what we were just discussing before the show, that you almost have 100 closure libraries so how do you of course you're using emacs that's the reason why you're producing it but what is what is the real reason i'm um, so or what is the auxiliary reason i'm um, so a lot of them are very small um like a few hundred lines of code at most um i think yeah. my smallest library is like three lines of code uh, oh, and, that, wow. and, that, and that's just a that, that 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 was a library for doing a constant time equality check for um um um, cryptography purposes, which I thought yeah. was probably something I should put in a library because I don't want to keep writing this code and make a mistake. Um, because if yeah. there's any code you shouldn't make mistakes in, it's um, cryptography yeah. or any code to do with security or cryptography. Um, yeah. So a lot of libraries are quite small, like a few hundred lines of code. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I quite like writing open source libraries. Um, and I'm a contractor, which means I don't have a nine to five job that I have to work with yeah. as well. So I have a lot mm -hmm. of time between contracts, which I can use to uh, um, work on uh, open source projects. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've got um, quite a few equivalents of left pad in the, uh, in the claw drive then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, cri crypto equality is my only uh, uh, left, pad, <laughs> left pad equivalent. <laughs> and hopefully that's justified because cryptography kind of has its own rules. Yeah, you want you want a lot of testing on that thing. Yeah, but but do you know chronologically what is the first library that you started writing in Closure? Um, do you remember? Yes, it was um, Composure, and I wrote, started writing oh, wow. that in um, I think April two thousand eight. Um, I'll need to check the oh, wow. check the, the yeah the, the history. Yeah, wow. but the original Composure looked cool. very different. Um, so I started off with. Sinatra, which is a yeah. Ruby library. The Ruby thing, yeah. yeah. And the first, because Closure didn't have any web stuff at all then, um, mm. Composure was effectively like a batteries included thing. So mm. it was based on top of servlets. Um, it would actually generate a servlet um, directly. Um, it had like cookie code and um, parameter parsing code and all of this. And it was essentially based directly yeah. off the Java um, servlet stack. Uh, yeah. And then a chap called Mark McGranahan um, contacted me and said, 
Um, I have this, I've been thinking about this abstraction layer for closure, which I'm calling ring. Um, mm-hmm. And at first I was skeptical because I went, okay, well, you're adding a abstraction layer on top of the abstraction layer that um, uh, <laughs> Java has. Like, we're just piling abstraction. I've already got this abstraction layer. It's called Java serverless. They work fine, right? And he goes, no, no, they're, they're rubbish. I kind of go, yeah, yeah. when I actually looked at um, Ring, I went, yeah, you're right. Um, this, <laughs> I, I can see the possibilities here. So yeah. I moved like 90% of the code I'd written for Composure into Ring. So all of the sort of cookie parsing and all of the parameter parsing and everything like that, I just shoved into um, Ring and Composure was left with like 400 lines of code, which essentially just made a routing library. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, but that's actually got more stars, more GitHub stars than Ring has. Yes, because um, of its longevity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so so longevity, and the other thing is that we moved um, Ring from Mark McGranahan's repository into um, into ah, its, its okay. own team repository. Okay. So there's actually two. There's still two repositories, and Mark McGranahan's Ring has probably got a few um, stars that uh, weren't yeah, transferred God. across. Right, right, right. You you can't tell GitHub to do that. Yeah. Um. You yeah. you can now. I don't think you could oh, at you? the okay. time. All oh, right. Okay. Mm. So in terms of stars, you're like internet billionaire on and in, <laughs> GitHub is the only thing available, and stars are the currency. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm pretty sure that uh, there are people in more mainstream languages with far more stars than I have. Oh, JavaScript. Yes, I'm pretty oh, sure Leftpad yeah. is like uh, I think the the, the, the peak and, and the star overflow. <laughs> now, now everybody keeps monitoring it that it shouldn't die now. <laughs> so. Um, so you're talking about composure, and then um, obviously uh, um, you you uh, you're maintaining it forever uh, in the internet years, obviously you know almost nine years, ten years. Yeah. Um, and now you're you're also uh, you you release duct and um, in, integrant. Yes. Uh, so what is the what is the what is the difference between these things? Um, so. Um, Duct was a maybe it's, maybe it's just to start by saying what the kind of purpose of Duct and Integrant are. Yeah. What's driving you yeah. to kind of uh, to produce these things? Uh, mm. Yes, maybe so, people don't know what they are. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, so as I said, I do um, a lot of well, I do some contracting work, and some of the contracting work involves web stuff um, because I develop Ring and Composure. So people kind of go, well, can you um, uh, help this closure team build a website for us? So. Um, I've been doing a lot of, and pretty much all of my previous jobs as well were to do with um, designing websites. So this has been my sort of full kind of job history. Yeah. And um, Duct started out as a template for what I thought a Clojure web um, site should, or web application should be developed as. So originally it was a template um, similar to Luminous, but it, it mm-hmm. was very component-based. So mm-hmm. it uses, um, or it used to use, Stuart Sierra's component library, which is a micro-framework for structuring applications. So it's not really a... I, th- I think component is a few hundred lines of code as well. It's not like yeah. a framework with a very specific task, like... Um, uh, uh, Ruby on Rails, and it's not a framework that has basically everything like Java's Spring, um, but it's a micro framework which allows you to structure an app in a certain way, and it provides 
a life cycle, so you can start and stop things. Um, it provides some introspection into what's running on the system, so you can inspect the system and say, okay, what's well, running these components here. Mm -hmm. um, it provides like dependency um, resolution. So before starting the web server, um, it might start the database, which is needed by the web server yep. to serve things. Um, and it also allows you to have more than one instance of a system running at one time. So your um, system isn't limited to your application. You can be running multiple ones at once, which gets useful for testing, right? So you can have yep. um, a system running, which you're currently developing on, and then you kind of go, actually, I want to test some stuff. I'm just going to pull up another system to, to test it in some way. So mm -hmm. those things quite appealed to me. Um, and then after watching some of Stuart Sierra's talks, I um, liked the idea of components. And then that led to me writing a template around it, which was Duct. Um, and then as I started to write Duct, um, mm. I think the first, the first thing was I was working with a chap called um, James Conroy Finn. And he mm -hmm. um, mentioned to me that wouldn't it be nice if, um, or, the, or the, he said that the problem with um, templates was that after you had um, created them, you were kind of stuck with whatever they were, right? There was like a static um, thing. You mm. create your project, which has a temp, you create your project from a template, and then you're stuck with whatever the template has. You can modify the code, yeah. but there's no easy way of saying, oh, the template's updated. How are we going to yeah, update? Pull it in yeah, how, how are we yeah. going to pull it in? How are we going to update our code yeah. base? Yeah. Um, so I was starting to thinking of ways of using generators, which were from Rails, where you could like create a where yeah. you create your um, in Rails, you create your um, framework, your new project, and then you can use yes. generators to create um, new database table, new database migrations, yeah. or new controllers and new yeah. models. So yeah. I was taking that kind of approach in a kind of closure way. Mm. And then um, I think um, Henry Garner mentioned later on that he quite liked um, having configuration in a file which he could um, take a look at. And up until this, mm. up until that point, I was used pulling in configuration from environment variables. And I kind of went, well, actually, the configuration I have is very limited. I don't have a lot of configuration in my application. I just need a port and um, maybe a few other things. And Henry yeah. said, well that's true now, but maybe um, you want to alter things that could be configurable, like the number of threads in your server or um, can various concurrency settings, right? If you have a very large configuration, you can tweak all of these individual settings. And that appealed to me well, like, right? The more stuff you can put in a data structure, the less stuff you have in code. And that's good for isolation because a data structure can't be altered, especially a mutable data structure. It only depends on itself, whereas code mm. is sort of interconnected everywhere. So the more stuff mm. I could pull out of code and into a data structure, the better. Um, so then I created like a configuration for um, Duct. And from there, I started running into problems with components because I'd, I'd have a configuration and then I'd mm -hmm. um, try to produce from that configuration a a structure, a system of components, which I could then run as an application. And the problems I had with getting component to work with that led me to develop Duct, uh, not Duct, uh, let me develop Integrant. Okay. And Integrant is essentially a 
um, another microframework. It operates in more or less the same space as Component does, but mm. it has the advantage of building a system from a configuration. Um, and okay. it's it separates out the configuration from the implementation. Whereas in component, they're kind of the same thing. Your implementation is built out of records, which you can then introspect um, when you can start and stop them. Whereas with um, integrant, you start off with a purely data-driven configuration. You initiate that into an implementation and then when you're done with the implementation, you can halt it in a side effect way and throw it away, right? It's 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 mm. once you get into the mess, it doesn't try and um, make the implementation nice. It just says, start off with the configuration, do as much as you can with the configuration. When we initiate it into this, into actual code, that's kind of something that is, it is effectively a black box. And the only thing you can do with it is press the stop button and then throw it away. Okay. Um, so, that, so what is the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. you go on. Okay. Because I'm, I'm trying to uh, see, um, the Twitter questions and I wanted to just, uh, so there is, I think we should, we should say who, who is asking this question. There is Ikuru K <laughs> some, some, uh, from Japan. Wow. People from Japan asking questions on DefN. Uh, my life is complete now. Um, <laughs> so unlocked for sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, he, is, he or she is asking about uh, your opinion about Arachne and Pedestal. Uh, what do you think of them? I mean, there are two. There are there are there are different kind of I don't know, quote unquote, frameworks in Enclosure World, right? And yes. So what do you think of Arachne and Pedestal? Uh, I'll start with Pedestal um, because that's the easiest yeah. one for me to get out of the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pedestal is similar to Ring, um, and it actually uses some of the. Um, functions in ring so so it depends on ring as a dependency um but it doesn't use ring middleware it has its own concept of interceptors which are hmm. more flexible than um rings middleware also maybe a little bit more complex it's very much geared up to handle asynchronous um connections um yeah. i mean it can handle synchronous stuff um, but a lot of the design at least my impression of it is that it's um, uh, uh, designed with asynchronous um, HTTP in mind, um, which is something that Ring hasn't been designed with. So Ring has kind of been designed from a sort of synchronous perspective. Um, Pedestal has come the other way and been designed from an asynchronous perspective. And um, in Ring 1.6, we've added sort of asynchronicity, but it still still has kind of roots in um, synchronous uh, uh, uh access of HTTP. Um, mm. So Pedestal fills a particular niche, but it's not something that I've ever actually had to use because usually my bottleneck is not the HTTP server, it's my database or it's uh, yeah. worker processes or, or something which I can't scale horizontally. Um, yeah. But yeah. I've heard from um, Cognitect and from others that Pedestal does fulfill the criteria they want. Um, so, it's, so it's just a case that Pedestal probably has a use, um, but it's not something yeah. that that's I've ever had a need for. So it's not something I've ever actually yeah. really experimented with. Um, yeah. Arachne, on the other hand, is something I have a need for um, because it's uh, yeah. a, uh, I mean, it is, it's currently built on um, or has 
components which link to pedestal, um, but it's very neutral mm-hmm. in that respect. Like eventually, we could have it linked directly to Ring instead. Um, okay. Pedestal is a larger framework. It's not a micro framework. It's actually a sort of real, true framework. And maybe the first real, mm-hmm. true framework that um, Clojure has had. Yeah. Um, and that's very similar to the way Integrant and Duct currently work. Okay. Um, but Arachne is maybe a little bit more involved. So mm. I'm so I haven't used Arachne a lot. Um, it's still an alpha. But the way I understand it works is you have is you first create a configuration script, which is eventually a bunch of closure mm. which which you run. And it's uh, effectively side effectful, um, and it generates a um, in-memory database, um, which is, I think, mm-hmm. either in-memory datomic or DataScript, um, one of the two. So then you have this in-memory data- database. Then we have another function which takes this in-memory database and produces from it a system of components. And then those mm-hmm. system of components can then be executed, and then you have your full um, application. Okay. So we kind of start off with data and then we go to implementation. We have a few steps in between. And I looked at this and went, hey, that's a really good idea. Um, but I don't like all of these mm-hmm. steps in between. I don't like using component. I don't like using data script and atomic. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was kind of leaning towards having a configuration database configuration anyway. So why don't I start off mm-hmm. with a um, map? Um, just a configuration map. And then I have something that turns it directly in, into an implementation. And then we can cut out the mm. steps of having um, um, the uh, in-memory database. And instead of having a script which creates the configuration, maybe we should have a bunch of... So Duct introduces this idea of modules, which are pure functions which transform the data structure. And because we're using a data structure rather than a... Um, uh, database we can use kind of pure functions to um uh transform it or we, or we, or we don't need to sort of lean into um atomics mechanisms for um querying and transforming the data structure we can do that with any pure function we want yeah and of course there is a um uh, we already discussed a bit about uh, the the differences, or you know, the duct and uh, integrant, and how how it is working. I think it's it's asked by Michiel Borkant and Arnaud Boss, and uh, Michiel was also asking. There is a library by you called Prog Rock, so he's interested if you're in what kind of progressive rock band you're you're listening to, or if if you're into that thing. So I actually saw this tweet. Um... Yeah. And and I went. Do I listen to any pro rock? And then I went through my um, Twitter, uh, from through my Spotify um, playlists, yeah. and no, no, I don't. Uh, so oh. so um, uh, then so I. It's, it's just a coincidence. Jethro Tull fans can. <laughs> yeah. So can so be sad tonight. Yeah. So 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 I apologise, but um, prog rock is is not currently on my playlist. I'm I'm not a I'm not a huge fan. I actually went out and. Um, before this podcast, put um, a yeah. prog rock uh, playlist on Spotify on, so I could listen to it. And I was just skipping <laughs> through lots of the tracks. <laughs> so, so sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm not a fan. I, I chose prog rock because it has the word prog, like as in progress, um, yeah, in it. And uh, I'd yeah. already created a library called Ragtime 
um, which is another yeah. genre of music. Um, and I chose yeah. that because Brag Time is an anagram of my great. Okay. <laughs> so you can kind of see we went, went, from, went from an anagram to a music style. And then because I had written that uh, library and prog rock written soon afterwards, I decided to go for another music style. And uh, uh, so but all, the, all the people that are eating the sausage now are very upset about the way it's made. You know, <laughs> so this, is, this is the bad thing. <laughs> but what, what kind of music it's, do you listen to when you're writing chord? Um, I don't actually listen to much music. Um, if I do, okay. it's it's usually some kind of um, video game or kind of retro music, something that okay. um, requires very little cognitive thought to appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, some, yeah. something something yeah. which is essentially background noise, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there is one more. Uh, you're you're talking about like you know when you're explaining pedestal uh, the the major. Uh, bottleneck for an application is the database and how do you, you know that's where the the scaling issues are coming from and you're also working on some sort of a database right um, uh yes so, so this is unrelated yes. to um in, yeah, integrant of course, and um, duct um but i have yeah. been working on sort of creating sort of games in my spare time um yeah so when i when i'm not working on stuff which i can actually um sell or sort of market um mm. i have mm. sort of a soft spot for creating um, games or seeing if I can create a game in Clojure because Clojure is a mm. functional language and there aren't many games which have been created in functional languages. Um, and uh, I wanted a game which is multiplayer. Uh, and yeah. if you have a multiplayer game, you're dealing with communications between different clients. And effectively mm. what you have is a distributed database. So you have the server has a copy of the database, and the clients have a copy of the database, and you need some way of fuzzily keeping them in sync. And yeah. having them be real-time is more important than accuracy, because on the client, things can change around a little bit if they're things that don't matter. Like the positions of um, different players can shift around a little bit as long as nobody's directly shooting at them. So I created um, a distributed real-time database called um, Ition, which is an old name for mm -hmm. a slower-than-light particle. And that was appropriate because when you're developing multiplayer networking code, you're essentially running up against the speed of light. Um, effectively, you're, you're trying to break the rules of the universe, right? Because you're dealing with people who yeah. are very far away and they have a certain yeah. amount of latency and you're trying to hide that latency and pretend they're actually much closer to each other so you're just trying to sort of make it seem like you're um effectively having faster light communication when you're not yeah that's the that's the nature of computing though isn't it to lie and pretend and to <laughs> cheat the universe. You know, does anything ever get saved to a disk? I wonder. That's, 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 that's true. Does it matter? Does it matter as it long as matter. the computer yeah, is yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's what you want, right? You yeah. want to you want to filter out the stuff that doesn't matter, and you want to sort of get rid of yeah. um, those things and say, well, maybe it doesn't matter if we save it immediately. But if you get it wrong, you might be able to. You might end up with something like MongoDB, which has a maybe undeserved <laughs> reputation for um, losing data. Certainly on this show, yeah. <laughs> I think yes. if mathematicians can can pretend what the square root of minus one is for the win, then we can do that kind of shit as well. 
Yes. Yeah. It's, just pretend, an, pretend what's inconvenient doesn't exist and just move forward in the hope that it actually won't really matter. And it, and it turns out that's probably true. So you mean you have the normal real database and imaginary databases? Ah, right. yeah. And you keep on <laughs> looping around them. until <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so um, apart from writing closure code, I mean, what else do you do? Uh, it's... I don't know if you if you can find some other time between writing all so many parentheses all the time. Uh well, so 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 a lot of I like programming. Um so I so I do do that a lot. Um yeah. other stuff I do do on the computer as well. Um so video games and things <laughs> like that. Uh <laughs> it's maybe explains why I've kind of um been creating some games in my spare time. Um or at least What sort of games do you like, James? I have a like maybe a wide variety of genres which i which which i work on um so so first person shooters uh real-time strategy the kind of moba genre which is out there um anything multiplayer playing a lot on tabletop simulator recently like the board games there are really quite nice um okay uh when i meet up with um um so 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 like every every six months, I meet up with a group of friends and we just uh, play board games for about a week. Uh, so, so oh, Tabletop right. Simulator has helped <laughs> fill in the gaps between that. Um, it's a program that allows you to effectively play like cardboard board games over the internet. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's another thing I'm into. Um, mm-hmm. Beat-em-ups like uh, Street Fighter or more obscure ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's um, outside of the computer. Um, yeah. Maybe not so much. Uh, I probably should get out more. Um, a few years back, I was I, a few years back. I had a go at doing a climbing course. Um, that went quite well. Um, okay. I have been trying to do more hardware stuff. Um, like the um, so I've got a Raspberry Pi, which I will at some point um, install Jasper on, which is an open source yeah. Echo. Um, yeah. slash google now sort of replacement um so i kind of want to try that as well and at some point i need to replace the battery in my phone so that's going to require a lot of um, <laughs> fiddly hardware pulling out especially since uh, yeah. the battery isn't meant to be replaced so um hey uh first uh, i'd like to thank you again for coming to the dcd uh, the dutch closure days and giving the keynote there you're very welcome uh, it's a very um very nice uh, keynote uh, you, you were talking about the data and and I think there were um, uh, already 500 views on the YouTube. So you, you know, we hope more, more and more people, uh, you know, get uh, get some understanding of what you're trying to explain. So um, let's see. Do we have any other interesting questions that we need to ask? Or just wondering. I don't know. You're, the no, one, the we... one, the one thing that I can. I mean, it's not really that interesting, but closure-wise. Screw it. Okay, it's a closure podcast. We're going to talk a little bit sure. about closure. Just one last <laughs> little thing is uh, yeah. there's something that someone asked you at the at the at the at the at the conference actually at the Dutch Closure Days, um, mm. and something I was talking about with someone at work recently is these derived keywords, and I think it's something which I think many people have kind of seen <clears throat> when they're reading about closure for the first time, and then just treat them as a little novelty and a bit of a toy, but you seem from your recent adventures to have got some real value out of them. 
Maybe you could just talk quickly about that because I think that's really that that was a surprise to me. I've got to say, I know a few of the people in the room as well. Um, yeah. So for I've been working with Closure for about nine years, I think, and for the first seven years, I didn't use them at all. Um, and I thought, hey, right. this, it's kind of neat that um, namespaced keywords can have um, can be derived, so you can have an inheritance tree um, just involving keywords. And it struck me as something which I like. I liked the separation of it because in object oriented programming, you have a inheritance tree of objects, yeah. whereas in Closure, Closure takes a very um, it's like the difference between like a penknife in the sort of object oriented mm-hmm. world, where the objects attempt to do everything. You know, they have polymorphism, they have inheritance, they have encapsulation, they have data, they have functions, they have their often used for namespacing as well. Um, not yeah. in Java, but in um, Ruby as modules and um, Python as well. Um, the modules are objects. Um, so objects are used for loads of things. Whereas in Clojure, we tend to have very specific tools. We have protocols for polymorphism. Um, for inheritance, we have these derived keywords. So I quite like the way that all of these tools separated out and they were sort of their own thing. But I hadn't found the use for derived keywords for quite some time. And I thought, well, that's probably because inheritance isn't that useful. Maybe there's some niche cases for it, but um, maybe yeah, not. Yeah. Um, but when I was developing Ition, um, the real-time database I was talking about earlier, um, I actually found a, a use for them. Because in games, you often have um, events that inherit from other things, right? You, you could have um, uh, something that moves as like sort of mobile... NPC, right? So that might pull in mm. a certain thing of inheritance, and maybe it can be damaged. That's another sort of structure. And there's a um, a game development um, sort of pattern called the entity component pattern, which effectively mm. involves creating or pulling in a bunch of components into a single single entity. So if, if it's effectively multiple inheritance. Um, so that seemed like a good thing for me to use with derived keywords. And once I'd used it there. I could then see other places. Once I'd actually use it in anger, I could see other places where it could be used. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the interesting things about derived keywords is that the keywords are effectively um, so. So, so Clojure has Clojure has symbols which refer to um, which have like a definition outside of themselves. So, like a symbol will yeah. refer to something else in the code, and a keyword has effectively like it's it's it's, it's own definition. It's, it stands on its own. Yeah. But we yeah. can describe keywords in various ways. Um, closure spec is one way to describe a keyword. So you say, well, well, this keyword can associate with this data, and the data must be an integer, or it must be something else. Mm. But we can also describe um, keywords in terms of other keywords. So we can use the inheritance tree to effectively act as like a dictionary. And this is something that I've started using in Integrate, where I can say, okay, well, we have a key which is, say, server slash dot HTTP slash Jetty. So that's a, a yeah. Jetty server. Maybe we can derive that from server slash HTTP. So mm. um, if we want to ask, so you want to use Aleph or something, you can have another one. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then if we have a if we have a um, um, Integrate configuration, and we want to ask it, what are the HTTP servers? We can say, well, what are all of the keys which are derived from server slash HTTP? 
And because it's multiple inheritance, we can add in multiple definitions. So we can say, well, Jetty is both a HTTP server and it's a synchronous server as well. Um, you know, it mostly handles kind of like synchronous or it has support for synchronous as well as asynchronous. So we can say, well, this is both a HTTP server and it's a synchronous server. So we know that when we start it, it will be using up threads. Mm. And you can start um, adding more and more um, general keywords to describe more specific keywords. And then that gives you more ways of querying the configuration, like saying, okay, well, what are the servers that are currently active? Like what ports are they running on? Or what um, servers are synchronous and therefore going to be using up a lot of threads? Or what are the background workers in our process? Or what are the um, uh, database migrations? And by using this inheritance tree, we can um, have specific um, versions um, yeah. without losing general without losing our ability to have general queries. Okay. And what, what are you using those queries for in your, uh, in, in a reporting sense or what kind of, what, what's the value you're getting out of that, of that structure? Um, so it comes back to modules, which induct are pure functions that transform a configuration. So mm -hmm. if you have a pure function that transforms a configuration, you need to have some way of, understanding what you're transforming. If you don't understand what you're transforming, then you can transform it only in very limited ways. Like you can add stuff to a map, okay, but you can't modify stuff that's in that map because you don't understand what it's for. So for mm. instance, there's a module in Duct which um, adds all of the stuff you need to build a website. Um, but what it does is it first queries the configuration to look for a HTTP server which is already in the configuration. Because if the configuration has a HTTP server already, it can use that instead of adding its own. So it can kind of say, okay, well, you've already right, got a right. HTTP server. I'm going to add all of the middleware to that instead of yeah. um, uh, uh, in, 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 instead of just creating my own blindly. So by, by mm. allowing modules to query, they become smarter. They're, they're not just blindly adding stuff. They can modify existing things as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, sounds really good. I yeah. mean, like I say, uh, I think there's probably much more use for this stuff. You know, I think we, we uh, like you say, we forget all of these various tools that we've got around closure sometimes and it's nice to to see a fresh approach to something which i think everyone has just forgotten about um yeah you know, we don't see it much in the wild so it's it's good to see it out there yeah and it, it so go on sorry what is what is the status that integrant is in right now um so integrant is pretty much stable I mean, it's not 1.0 okay but it's um yeah um it's 0.04 so there's, there's, there's probably going to be some there might be some breaking changes in the future, but if there are, they'll be very minor. Um, it's pretty much stable. Um, Duct is currently in alpha, so it's in a position where you can try it out. There's no documentation written on it at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. I will be writing some soon. Um, it's not production yeah. ready, but some people have, some brave individuals have said, okay, well, <laughs> well we want to build our next stuff around um, Duct. Um, and if you happen to decide that you want to do that, then I will try and help you. And there will be more documentation in future for the alpha version of Duct, which is um, 
very different from the previous version because the previous version used component mm. um, and now I'm switching yeah. over to integrant. Um, uh, a lot's changed between version 0.8 and the 0.9 alphas. Yeah. So maybe before we, we uh, close off, um, I, I'd like to just ask one, one question. So we've been praising Clojure a lot. I mean, what is one thing that bothers you in Clojure? Uh, startup times are not that great. Um, I, I, I can't use Clojure for um, writing shell scripts or system files or things yeah. like that um, because the startup time okay. is just kind of bothersome. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's less the startup time of Clojure itself uh, than it is of the loading in all of the libraries because they've all got to be sort of loaded yeah. in into memory um, each time. Yeah. Um, maybe that's kind of solved by Clojure script and Node. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of one of the things, the main thing that um, bothers me currently. Um, but in the, in the language itself, do you have any any um, things that you think could be different a bit? There are. So one one problem is that Clojure tries to strike a balance between performance and, mm. um, well, may, maybe Clojure leans a little bit too far towards performance. So, for instance, mm. um, the keyword function in Clojure core doesn't have any checks on it. So you can create invalid keywords with spaces in and things like this. Um, yeah. And because those um, adding in the um, additional checks that would stop it um, would take yeah. extra time, right? Because you're checking each time you create a keyword. And this is one of the problems that dynamic yeah. languages have, right? If, you're, if yeah. you've got all your types available at runtime, then all of your checks mm. on those types have to be at runtime. And that means you're slowing down runtime. Uh, yeah. What might... is, there, is there a spec on keyword now? I, I don't know, actually. Maybe there should be a spec on keyword. What might solve the problem is closure spec, because... Um, yeah. With closure spec, we can instrument functions, which means we can add in um, conditions or checks mm -hmm. onto functions dynamically. So we can have them in development and we can mm. turn them off in production. Maybe we could even have them in production yeah. if, if performance yeah, isn't yeah, like a huge, yeah. huge deal, which um, most yeah. of the time it's not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be yeah. using Ruby and Python and other languages like that. Um, we, we'd <laughs> exactly. all be using um, C. Um, so so yeah. I think... I think closure spec will solve that problem um, eventually. Mm -hmm. Once it's um, once all of closure core has been specced out, then um, um, uh, the performance and performance problem will be, or the sort of error message and the checks will be solved, and also the um, stack traces will also be a lot better because currently the stack traces just go into Java, right? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Um, whereas. What yeah. we ideally want them to do is we want them to stop at the closure layer and give us closure a nice level, exception. Yeah. But again, because of performance concerns, they've just been let loose to kind of fall back to the Java layer. Um, yeah, yeah. So with closure spec, maybe maybe that'll be solved. And I think they they seem to be taking the same attitude uh, as you are with uh, Integrant. I noticed that the latest alpha of uh, of Clojure 1.9, they've separated out the Clojure spec into its own library, and you know, so everything is changing. They, it, I was hoping it would be settling down by now, but they're still obviously quite hard at work at, um, and there's still there's still some big rocks to be moved around there. I think it's a smart move to move spec out because then we can actually yeah. have Clojure 1.9 out of the gate while still keeping the experimental aspect of spec because mm, spec is still yeah.
very much experimental and yeah. Yeah. it's better to have it experimental for a while so we can have more time to think about it and work out what's best than to settle on something too soon and then be stuck with it for the next seven years yeah yeah <laughs> all right okay okay good yeah but i think we're uh we're, we're well past the hour mark actually so yeah i remember we we when we talked originally james you were you were thinking that you wouldn't have anything to say for more than two minutes but it turns out that <laughs> well <laughs> i i think we need to do another episode with james i know I mean, you've got so much stuff yeah exactly man, man, man. i think i think we we can we can you should we will really uh, we would really like to have you again, and because there are a lot of other things that we want to talk about. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, yeah. if we if we go by the the we've libraries, two, I mean, we two. can we can make twenty episodes. Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered <laughs> three or four today. You know, so exactly. We probably have we probably have one every like three months or something. Just to tell, <laughs> I stop coding now, okay? Because we can't catch up. You know, <laughs> we have so, covered the most interesting libraries. Um, the other ones maybe yeah. less interesting. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I still think honestly, a, though, James, I think I think you're doing some interesting things. I mean, I, I I just noticed this last week you published something that visualized tests, and obviously mm. you're doing the Discordox thing and closure formatting, mm. a lot of closure tools that will you know mm. help developers to, you know, let's say, you know, in terms of like huge value add, maybe it's not, but things which which contribute towards the you know the community and uh, the tooling around closure. So. Yeah, I think you're doing great stuff, you know, and we really appreciate yeah. you coming on and, and talking about this kind of stuff and taking all these questions. So, yeah. so thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot for, um, for answering all, all sorts of questions that we're posing. <laughs> well, one, one last yeah. uh, question actually that I had as sure. part of this thing was, uh, the, the, you have a Twitter handle called Weave Jester and, uh, a little jester, little character. So how did you come about? What's the story behind that one? Uh, well, it's anagrams again. So ah, okay. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a uh, an anagram of my name. Um, so, so my full name oh, is James oh. Matthew Reeves, and I plugged that into oh. the Internet Anagram server, and I came up with two candidates that kind of made sense. Um, one of them was yeah. them am weave jesters, and I quite like the <laughs> word weave jester. Yeah, and the other yeah. one was okay. meet Jew shave master. <laughs> Ouch! And, and when I chose to choose between okay. Weave Jester or Jew Shave Master, I decided that Weave Jester was the was the better choice. Good choice, I think. Very good choice. Yes. <laughs> so I think we'll so stop expecting, on that note, I think. But go on. Do you have a Do you have a closure library for anagram generation? If If not, I'm there should. No, be. no, I don't. I, I think that that should I, be under your I, name I, now. I think that niche. Yeah, it could be called Jew Shave Master. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I think I think there are plenty of um, uh, places on the internet where you can um, uh, de of develop. Course, yeah, uh, yeah, check for the, check yeah. check for anagrams. Okay. Okay, on um, that bombshell with Jew Shave Master, <laughs> it's time to roll the credits, I think. Yes. Um, so, um, this is episode number 21. Ooh, yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic fun. And, and thanks, James, for joining us, uh, enlightening us with uh, some, some deep knowledge of closure that you have already. And uh, we wish that, um, you know, you will, you will find more time to put and maintain these uh, libraries and there are more people joining in and helping you and then because these these libraries are the ones that that 
that make the language keep the language alive thank you very much so people people use these tools and yeah uh so uh the for for the credits you know uh, again this is uh, uh the the same uh, music that we have been uh, using and abusing from uh, Pizzeri on uh, SoundCloud actually and, it's very uh, much the kind of stuff that James likes by the sound of things oh yeah. okay <laughs> that kind of retro <laughs> games music yeah <laughs> and um, our um, fancy uh, uh, audio fixes are done by Walter Dalet from uh, from Belgium a big shout out to him and um, did i miss anybody the logo uh, yes the logo is uh, designed by Lou of Sultan uh, she's the one who also designed our uh, dutch closure day branding as well so a uh, big shout out to her and that's all for uh, today i think okay thank you and uh, see you again in the next uh, next episode bye bye bye